0: Do you have an unexpected story to tell or know someone who does? We'd love to have you on the pod. Please apply at pleaseton'tellanyone pod at gmail.com or follow our application link in bio of our Instagram, please don't tell anyone pod or TikTok account.
1: G twelve is a whole cult in its own. Hmm. And then in order to bring more people into the cult, they built this rehab recovery program.
0: Hey, and thanks for coming back to Please Don't Tell Anyone. I'm Molly Clark, your host, and this is the podcast where you hear unexpected stories by ordinary people. I go and blind all my interviews so that I can hear the story firsthand just like you. I just want to give a trigger warning at the top here. This was very important to Christina that she doesn't want to trigger anyone. So with that said, this episode, we discuss addiction, heroin, drug use, depression, overdose, cults, Christianity, brainwashing. And uh, a lot of other stuff. So if any of those categories seem like, hey, maybe I shouldn't listen to this episode, maybe sit this one out. Otherwise, I hope you enjoy slash are educated because this is a wild story.
1: Please don't tell anyone. I said, please don't tell anyone. I said, please don't tell anyone.
0: Please don't tell anyone. Don't tell the truth Shh. behind underground Christian unquote, rehabs that are kept a secret. I spent eight months in a Christian rehab cult, and then I was shunned. I'd like to shed some light on what really goes on behind closed doors and how they gain total control over people seeking treatment and their families. Why don't you paint a picture for us? of how you ended up at that facility
1: to begin with. So I first went into rehab when I was 18. So I'm currently 24 and I'll be five years um, sumber in April. Um, Just to clarify, California clean Congratulations. so yeah. (laughs) Thanks. I was born and raised in Vineland, Millville, New Jersey. And I was in like a very strict Baptist Christian family very heavily involved in church like my mom made that a huge priority so I was at church maybe four times a week wow. so like from choir to orchestra to bible study like very involved but like when I would come home it was just like a completely different story by elementary school I was just very very depressed and I'm Ukrainian both of my parents came here in the 90s so they're very like soviet communistic like mentality and so nobody believed that I was depressed. like I was just kind of labeled like lazy, just you know, all the things, so like they didn't understand me, and I was a I was a really good kid, and then with all the depression starting, I didn't start drugs, like heavy drugs until sophomore of high school. Um It like kind of started with pills, like I would you know take my grandma's sleeping pills, but then that kind of grew into a shoot of heroin addiction. So, like, by senior oh, year, wow. I was—it was really bad, like, yeah. And I was, like, 18, and I was rock bottom, like, my life was out of control. And, like, growing up in that Christian, like, family—well, quote-unquote, Christian— like, my parents knew something was up, like, I yeah. was acting funny, because I was starting to get sloppy by senior year. And um they knew something was up, but, like, their first thought would not be heroin. Like No. I don't know. So— it wasn't until like I had multiple overdoses where they ended up like finding me. My dad found me the first time. It freaked them out. They sent me to like crisis for three days and no one really talked about it. Literally, my dad was like, OK, we'll just do- don't do that again. So it really scared them. But like no one really did anything because they I think they were just still in disbelief. Like they thought it was just like a one time thing. But then it wasn't until like I had multiple overdoses in like short amounts of time where it like freaked them out which is understandable. And so they kind of gave me the ultimatum where it was like, you're either going to the military, you're going to rehab, or we're kicking you out and taking everything. And I live in a small town. So like they take my car, like I can't get drugs. That mm-hmm. was just like a whole thing. I was definitely not about rehab. I bounced. I took the car. I was like living my life. And Wait, so it before, wasn't
0: until- just because I want to understand so much of yeah. what you just said. So I just want to back up for a second. <laughs> When you said that, you know, you started like using drugs, I thought you were about to say, you know, like in seventh grade, I smoked weed for the first time. I wasn't expecting you to say I took my grandma's sleeping pills and then that led to heroin. How does,
1: how did that happen? Like, how did you get introduced to heroin? So I started smoking weed in sixth grade. And so like, I knew I kind of liked that feeling because it was just a feeling of making everything stop. Like, I had so much pressure on me as like, a kid and just like, I did not get a break. And for me, that was a break. So I knew I kind of liked that feeling. I didn't like uppers or anything. Mm-hmm. So it started with my grandma's sleeping pills and then I couldn't do that anymore. So I was reaching out for oxys at school and stuff because Millville, it's like, there's not really anything to do. So like, oh, yeah, high, because it's not shit to do. So it was kind of easy to find. You just... It's not that hard. And then pills were too expensive. Got to that point. So the next cheapest option is heroin, which is, it was very cheap and I could afford it. And how cheap is heroin? So heroin is $5 a bag. And then they would sell it in like bundles, which would be $40, which is 10 baggies, which is like a point each, which Mm -hmm. is like a point gram each. Um. So it was, it was enough. I mean, it's cheap but it's a lot of it whereas one oxy pill would be twenty dollars
0: were you scared the first time you did heroin because like as a kid and you hear heroin you're like well that's just the next like a needle whoa but was it not scary
1: for you i wasn't shooting up i never shot up i have a very big fear of needles where i was getting it it's in powder form so i was i was snorting it Okay. I had a group of friends at the time that were also like, kind of going through the same things and stuff. So it just kind of fell in my lap. But I wanted to do heroin. Like I wanted to try it. I don't know. I I think I was just so depressed. And I was just kind of chasing that feeling of just like, making it stop, escape. Just, like yeah. escape for real. Yeah. And I, I knew kind of like, I've heard of like, what it felt like. So I just kind of, I just knew that I wanted to do it. I can't explain it.
0: Now that we have the background to why and how you got into drugs, specifically heroin at that time, your parents give you this ultimatum.
1: You're 18. What happens? So I was not going to rehab. I still was. I wasn't done. So I ran away. Basically, I was just kind of couch surfing and then. Honestly, I was in a bad shape at that point. It only took me like another two months to really hit a solid rock bottom where, honestly, like I was really, I was about to give up. I didn't want to like be here anymore. And so that's kind of like when I called my mom and I'm like, hey, like I think I'm ready to get better. Um, She already had a rehab, you know, set up and she immediately set up the appointment. So I went to go have the meeting with the Um, rehab director the very next day so this is like how we get into how i met exodus recovery so and actually this is funny because this is a cult within a cult so exodus recovery is part of a church that follows a g12 model which i'll explain that like later what that is but g12 is a whole cult in its own Hmm. and then in order to bring more people into the cult They built this rehab recovery program where you basically take vulnerable people, brainwash them, and then make them a part of your cult. It's basically just like to multiply the cult, which is insane to yourself. My mom sets up the meeting and the meeting was at Olive Garden. I remember this. We go to meet meet the director and his name is Dennis. And he's like, he's he's probably like early thirties. Clean cut, it like he looks like he has his shit together. So we go to Olive Garden and he starts telling me, you know, his backstory, like how we, you know, started drugs, how we got clean, and like how amazing his life is. Then he starts telling me about me, about the rehab. And I also want to kind of put in there that turns out that I'm sort of kind of related to him. I didn't realize that until like later. So my cousin, the one that was living with us, her mm-hmm. husband's cousin is married to him. So that's how my mom found out about this rehab. You started telling me about rehab. And so it's called Exodus Recovery and it's located in Philadelphia. I spent a total of eight months there. So it's a Christian rehab program that consists of three stages. So the first stage is six months of inpatient and it's an inpatient program where you're on lockdown, you're in a house with other people no outside communication and it's like a very intense christian program second stage is like where after those six months if you prove yourself that like you're good enough to get to second stage it's like a halfway house situation so you're allowed to have a job but like you have to check into like the meetings and stuff and be a part of church so there's someone still watching you and then (laughs) Third stage? He's like, you don't need to know about third stage. That's too far ahead. Well, it turns out that no one really even gets to third stage. So that's why he didn't really want to say anything because literally nobody even makes it to third stage. Everyone bounces by, like, first or second stage because it's unbearable. Okay, so
0: no one graduates Um, from this rehab, essentially.
1: No, no. Like, very few people. Like, honestly, you can count them on one hand. How many people graduate that? So... He was just kind of making it sound like you need to focus on first stage kind of thing. Okay. The way he was explaining it, right, first stage, it sounded like camp. Mm -hmm. Like, he was, he made it sound like it was so fun. He's like, yeah, there's... Right. Currently, he was like, there's 15 people living in one house, and he showed me pictures. And it's like a group picture. Everyone is between 18 and 35, and they all look happy. And it's like a Christian program. Like, he made it sound really good. Yeah. And... He was just like, yeah, take six months. You'll detox before you know it, whatever. Well, that's how they get you, obviously. They make rehab sound amazing. (laughs) But I was still skeptical. I left that meeting and I was just like, I'll let you know. Went home. I did my research. I went on their website just to scope it out, whatever. I couldn't find much information, but their website does not mention anything about G12. And their website's really funny, actually, that I like started like looking into it it's very culty but it's very like minimum information and so I didn't really find much but I'm like fuck it like it's either I'm either gonna die or I'm gonna go to rehab it's literally life or death at this point and so I was just like yeah whatever so the next day I agreed and I went so this is how I started rehab the first stage house was located in Allentown PA which was it was literally in the middle of nowhere. No neighbors really around. And the closest anything is like a 15-minute drive and it's a gas station. So it was like really freaky. But I get there in the middle of the night and I was already withdrawing. But I get there. They get my bags. Um, they take my bags into a separate room and they like go through my bags to make sure there's no like contraband. Also contraband is like I had a book with me. I was just like, oh, I'm going to read a book. Mm-hmm. I thought. Because they took that, because unless it's a Christian and pre proved you're not allowed to have it. Then they take me up to the master bedroom. So mind you, this is a house, one hu- one big house, middle of nowhere. There's 15 people living in it. I'm number 16, girls and guys. So the girls, the way that they had it set up was the girls had the master bedroom because at the bathroom and at nighttime, the leader of the house lock us in for obvious reasons. Yeah. Which I like that. Like, it it made sense. It made me kind of feel safe. But still, so that's how they kept the girls and guys apart. But they were very heavy on no contact between guys and girls. To the point where, like, guys and girls couldn't sit on the same couch. There would be a girl's couch and a guy's couch. Or, like, if there was, like, a picnic table, right? If someone was sitting on, like, the bench part of the picnic table, like a girl, a guy couldn't sit there. He would either have to sit across or, like, on the table and, like, have his feet on the seat i don't know did
0: you get an appropriate detox because a lot of rehabs you know you you have a detox where you're like in a hospital especially from something like heroin
1: so that's the thing so when you get there you get a 10 days grace period so you get 10 days you don't have to follow the program um they basically treat you so so nice anything you want like at your beck and call and you also have a buddy like they'll give you massages They'll, they'll do the hot tub for you like just anything you want so the first 10 days there, you're withdrawing, but everyone is super, super nice to you. And like, you can watch movies, which like that wasn't allowed for everyone else, but you can do whatever you want And, but the sure. thing is you withdraw like without anything. The most they give you is a Tylenol. So we actually had a guy oh that God. was withdrawing from Klonopin and like a bunch of other stuff. It was so bad to the point where half of his face was paralyzed and they had to take him to the hospital because of the withdrawal oh was so God. severe yeah thankfully my withdrawals i was already kind of withdrawing it wasn't that bad but i've seen yeah people but people can really have seizures and no seriously it's so dangerous and like they don't believe in that the thing is they don't believe in medication period we had people there that were diagnosed with schizophrenia bipolar just the list goes on with like mental health and they did not believe in medication they believed in praying it away which is also really scary because if you're in a house full of 15 people, different walks of life, different everything, and then on top of that, you throw in like unmedicated mental health issues, it gets really scary. Like, I, I totally. mean, there were some really, really intense moments there that I'll never forget that were really, really scary. And all because they just didn't believe in like medicine. So I took the 10 t- days to, you know, with and stuff and i really milked it and that's what they told me to do because they're like once the 10 days is up like they're throwing you into the program like and it's an intense program too especially if you're not christian the program is so so intense like it goes from you wake up in the morning you'll have you know you read you know certain whatever from the bible and then there's like worship and then everybody goes around and talks about the revelation that they got and then it goes to a sermon that you have to watch and then take notes on. Then they're making you write your own sermons to in front of everyone. And it has to be at least five minutes long. So for me, like I'm, I come from a Christian family. like, this is light work for me. Like, yeah, I'm used to this. But I felt so bad for people that were, that did not grow up Christian. Of course. You know what I mean? Like, you come out of this 10 days period and then they throw you in there like, yeah, you got to write a sermon. This is the topic and make sure it's five minutes long. And, like, you have to preach about it to the house.
0: Were you actually having revelations or were you bullshitting
1: it? Dude, people would pull the things. They would just pull things out of their butt. For yeah, that's, real. I'm like, sure. I'm sitting
0: here and like, And then if there's what? 15 people
1: and everyone has to go around and if it's, I don't know, like, two chapters that we read and, like, you have to find something in that and make it into something. And, like, some people love to listen to themselves talk. Mm-hmm. So, like, that whole thing, that whole session would take like an hour, you know, like. It was just, it was a lot too. And I think there is where I learned to like tune things out. I'm not kidding because you, because you can't physically listen to every single person talk about their revelation. Mm-hmm. You honestly just end up tuning out. Of course. You're learning Bible verses. Then you have the prayer time for one hour. So you have to be by yourself and you have to be praying. They're checking up on you to make sure you're not sleeping. So you get thrown into this thing and it was fun for about like a month. Because, like, you're still getting to know everyone. But then, like, about, like, a month, a month and a half in, you start noticing, like, the dynamics and, like, what's really actually, like, going on. And so, first is the leader of the house, right? You would think that it would be someone that's, you know, more experienced, qualified.
0: Yeah. No. Someone who works in addiction and youth management and things like that.
1: Yeah, you would think, no. Um, the leader of the house was coincidentally the person that was kind of there the longest and like kind of had more or less like, they saw that they can depend on them in a way. So, I mean, at that time, like I was blessed with a really amazing house leader. Like he was awesome. Like he was a very, very nice guy, but he was like, I think like 30 or something. And like we had much older people also in rehab, but he's 30 years old, probably one year clean. And he's in charge of sixteen other rehabilitants. That's a lot. Are there people on staff there though, all day, no. every day, who are? Ch- he was literally the only one. And so, who's there teaching these sessions each day? Him? That's that's him. Yeah, I thought it would have been Dennis because like he's the rehab leader and stuff, and you know he's at least been clean for some time, or I don't know, someone that's like. A therapist or something. I was gonna. So you're telling
0: me there's no therapist there for. It's the blind leading the blind, Molly.
1: I'm so serious.
0: I'm so confused. The only people on staff at this place are is someone who is a patient. Yes. Okay, so why wouldn't anyone just get up and leave?
1: Well, that's the thing. Well, people did get up and leave. So he's no longer a patient. So like he's a leader of the house. So they don't pay him, but he gets his phone. So like every night i know dennis would like facetime him and like he would give him the rundown of what's going on but for the most part like they just trusted this person that was just like a year clean to get everyone else sober get everyone else sober and there have been so many stories where the leader of the house would have a relapse take the house money and go buy everyone drugs and everyone partied for a week so many that would happen so many times or like obviously the guy the leader of the house were always men And so obviously it would be like guys like, you know, doing stuff with the girls and abusing power, the whole thing. And like, it was just a mess. I just want to say the leader of my house, like he, the house leader at the time, he honestly, like he was, he's a good person. Like he did a very, very good job and I'm glad that I had him there.
0: Okay. And then does he graduate and
1: another person comes in or? Yeah. So basically it's like him serving so they're not even paying him that's the thing yeah. I'll get into that I'll get into the money business later he's supposed to be like serving God and so that's like his way of giving back to the rehab until they find the next person within this group of rehabilitants that would be able to step up and be that next person so honestly if you're the house leader and there's no one coming in that's you know able to take the place you can be stuck there for two years Okay, like, and who, who's making meals? So meals, we would all take turns. So they okay. would pair you up with someone, usually someone that you didn't get along with, because the whole premise of this rehab is to, like, break you down to build you up. Classic but the only shit. person
0: breaking you down is someone who just went through this program. There's no
1: other leaders there. Yeah, we're, like, Where's breaking Dennis? each other down. Dennis, Dennis is living his best life. This dude is, this is, like, his full-time job. For real, like this whole ministry thing. But he would come once a month to drop like uh, some, you know, knowledge on us, some like Mm -hmm. spirit knowledge. And then he would be more there as like enforcement, you know, like some people needed a talking to, you know, so like Dennis would take them into a room, which I had a talking to get into that later, too. Taking
0: this at face value for a second. This is a this is a house
1: in the middle of nowhere, in the
0: middle of nowhere with 18 to 30 somethings in it. And it's using the word rehab. When really it's just every man for themselves with one sober person who's been sober longer leaning, leading, and everyone's locking each other in their bedrooms at night.
1: Pretty much, yeah. And like we would just rely on each other. Like Who was
0: yelling at each other to not sit on chairs next to boys and girls though? Who's, the, who's dropping the, the hammer? Leader. And why? The house Why? The Because he feels God is leading him to do so?
1: Yeah. So okay, he so was a, very the in, Christian... he was in the cult. He was he was already he's very indoctrinated in the call. Like anything Dennis said, like he would do no questions asked because you cannot question Dennis or the pastor.
0: So is the pastor it's... above Dennis.
1: Yeah, there's a Who's pastor, the pastor? above Dennis. Does so the come? pastor, he would come in once in a while. So that's what I meant by like this church. It's called um, Church of Christian Mission. And it's in Huntington Valley, PA, okay. like in the Philly area. And so they believe in this G12 mission. So that is is the G12 mission. G12 mission was started by Cesar Castellanos from Colombia. And just like every cult leader, he has personal revelations from God where God gave him basically how churches are supposed to evangelize people. G12 stands for like God and 12. Jesus had his 12 disciples. Hmm. So the idea is like the pastor has his 12 disciples, those 12 disciples have their 12 disciples. So a pyramid scheme for churches essentially. And so Dennis was pastor's right-hand man, one Hmm. of his disciples. So it's like the church and within this church, this church developed this rehab, right? Which Dennis is in charge of. And that's how they bring members into the cult by taking vulnerable like people seeking treatment
0: who may not be christian at the time
1: you just happen to
0: have been raised christian okay
1: exactly yeah and they'll they'll take anyone they tell you that it's christian but they don't tell you that it's like a g12 nowhere even on the church website do they mention g12 which they're so big on it how did you find out it was
0: g12 oh because in it they're talking g12
1: yeah so like even in the rehab they didn't they would mention g12 like we would follow the g12 teachings and stuff but they didn't really explain to us what G12 was. It wasn't a big deal until second stage, when I got to second stage, and encounter, which is how they indoctrinate people, which it, I can get into that today. Yeah, but I was going to say, okay, so how
0: long does phase one go for you? Six months. How much did this rehab cost?
1: So that's the thing. So about a month in, that's where I started asking questions. So the rehab costs $1,000 a month per person. No, so if we do the purpose. math, that's $16,000 coming into the rehab a month. Mm-hmm. We, through, like, talking through people that were, like, in the rehab, we found out, and there was a group of us, we did the math also. We found out that we were renting that first-stage house. The rent and utilities were maximum $2,500 a month. Okay. So where is the rest of the money going? Well, it's not going towards food because... <laughs> This gets great. For food, they would force us to apply for food stamp cards. They would help us fill out the application. They would monitor their phone calls. So when the food stamp people would call to have a phone call with you, all phone calls in the rehab were monitored. So they would tell you what to say in order to get um, a food stamp card. Once they get that food stamp card, basically like everybody's, they would use those food stamp cards and buy food for everyone for the entire house. And it wasn't even good food. It was like great value, Walmart, like When rationing. you were
0: on the calls to get the food stamps, though, when, I mean, I'm about to sound so ignorant. But, like, when they'd ask, well, why are you on food stamps? Would you guys say, well, we're at a rehab?
1: No, they had a whole store. So the thing is, that's why I said in the beginning, like, it's an underground rehab. Nobody's allowed to know about it. First off, we weren't even allowed to go outside because, God forbid, like neighbors would see us. No one's, a, no one knows that there's a rehab at this house. Yeah. And every time, cause we were renting it, every time the landlords would want to do a walkthrough, we all had to get out of the house and move all of the beds into the basement. It was a whole thing. Like it was a whole system. And yeah, no one's supposed to know about it. Phone calls. So you get a phone call once a week, every Saturday, but that phone call is 30 minutes. It has to be with like a parent or a family member, and it's monitored. It's on speakerphone, and the house leader is listening to it to make sure that
0: yeah, you're all not the being conversations like, the are fuck out of here. Yeah,
1: exactly. So they would coach us through what to say in the food stamp like interview calls and stuff. Mm-hmm. So it would be like, oh no, like I'm just like living on my own, like I'm a student or whatever. There's a whole backstory, and they'd fill out the application for you, and so that's what they would use. But on top of that, every I think it was like either every Friday or Saturday, they would make us fast for 24 hours. So we were not allowed to eat anything for 24 hours. So that was also to save like on food.
0: When you're saying they, you're referring to the house leader and Dennis. So
1: I don't blame the house leader for anything because he was honestly, he's a genuinely good person. I think he just got sucked into this cult. I blame everything on Dennis and the pastor because they know what they're doing and they're the masterminds here. I think the house leader is, in my opinion, is just a victim as much as anybody else. He would do anything Dennis would say, because that's his leader. Cause mm-hmm. like part of Dennis's 12 disciples was this like house leader too. So all like triples down and stuff. So yeah, it wasn't going off so pizza. They would make us like fast. If you think about it, like I just got off of drugs i'm like what 95 pounds like what why the fuck are you making me starve for a day yeah and on top of that people would get hangry you know and no one's were- on
0: medication who no, no one's be on, on medication.
1: medication so it was it was definitely like a trying time moves were down like it was but yeah they would make us fast and stuff i don't even know why that was a huge question in the house everyone's like why are we even doing this this is if if I'm not understanding the purpose, like of fasting, right? Mm-hmm. Why are you forcing me to do it? Yeah, it just, I think it's it was to save costs on food too. So if it's not going to food, if it's not going to like bills and stuff, and it's not going to pay the house leader, then like it's where going to is
0: Dennis and the pastor and the
1: church? It's going to and Dennis because this that is Dennis's. For it, we don't know. It's used for. I mean, they had nice cars. They were going on vacation. Like they were looking really it. good. You know. You're saying they
0: were. Does this place no longer exist?
1: No, they still do.
0: Including Dennis working there, to the top of your this knowledge. Is,
1: yes, this is still ongoing. Exodus recovery is still going strong. Church of Christian Mission is still going strong too. And like this is all happening, which is why I wanted to tell the story because so many people don't even know that underground rehabs are a thing. You wouldn't think of, I don't know, like a church doing that. I think you kind of would, but like you kind of don't.
0: I would think of a church doing that just based on Netflix and watching documentaries. Like nowadays, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's really hard to believe that these things are still happening. Like right now in Pennsylvania, there's a girl like you.
1: Committing food stamp fraud.
0: Yeah. (laughs) In the name (laughs) of Exodus rehab. I mean, what? Okay, so you tell me where we are in this story. You are almost, you've done phase one. Um
1: so kind okay of, there's still more that i can tell you about though like yeah whatever you want
0: yeah tell us some crazy so, shit
1: so they would like kind of like pimp us out for free labor so there's a spot in philly and so it's more of like a sauna or whatever and they would be like well once every other week it was a privilege for everybody to get to go to the sauna and you know the sauna would let us use the spas and stuff in return if the rehabilitants did work around the spa so like the girls would like clean the locker rooms and this one time the guy were the guys were doing like straight up construction work and then after you're done that work you can use a facility for free but then also the pastor and Dennis and like other people would also come through and use that facility like use the spa and stuff for free and like they can what does use this it whatever they do with want getting sober I have no idea like, it was supposed to be like, oh, it's good for you. Like, you're supposed to sweat it out, like, the toxins. When in reality, it's basically just the pastor and Dennis and whoever was yeah, yeah, yeah. like, just Maintaining using a us. relationship with a spa Facts. by having you guys do labor. Okay, weird. So all of this, like, a month and a half in, it's all coming down. I'm starting to see all this. I'm like, this is weird. This is crazy. Oh, and actually, like, I also want to talk about the punishments, too. Oh, yes, please. So, like, we had punishments. So the biggest number one punishment was dishes. So we didn't have a dishwasher. Imagine doing dishes after sixteen people by hand and stuff. And if people didn't like you and you were on dishes, and they were cooking, they would make sure to use every pot and pan, I'm every, sure. to give you dishes. So nobody wanted to do that. But then they would take away your free time and like phone calls. Like they get creative and stuff. So.
0: But what were you getting in trouble for?
1: Guys and girls sitting on the same couch, or I didn't and get who's in trouble. calling you out? Like who's the the leader basically like we're all brothers and sisters in christ and if i see my sister like you know messing up or if somebody cursed right because you're not allowed to curse like we can rebuke you so i can say something to you Mm -hmm. which is like hilarious too when like we're all telling each other what's up and like how to be better Mm because it's like you have literally no place to tell me anything yeah but like the house leader would also tell you and stuff or like you would get a talking to from like dennis on facetime and stuff he was so fast to facetime or if you just didn't want to do something or you fell asleep during like prayer time or something like that stupid shit
0: so everyone was like snitching on each other yeah for the sake of god
1: we had yeah we had snitches in the house and we also had people that understood that this is a cult folks were banned right that's whatever so it was contraband books but we ended up having an underground also like a book smuggling ring within the rehab so like we would get people were making hooch like
0: why is no one just literally leaving like at the spa one day you're in philly why not just walk out and be like this is insane especially the people over 18
1: i did walk out i ended up my basically so if you want to leave they're like fine you can leave but a you're in the middle of nowhere so good luck yeah or we'll drop you off at the gas station good luck to you you have two suitcases you don't have anywhere to go. And for a lot of the people there too, like they had nowhere else to go. I had nowhere else to go. My parents would not let me come back home. And so it was about like the two months in where I started kind of like acting out a bit. And so that's where I got, a, got the talking to with Dennis. And I started asking him questions. And I'm like, dude, where is the money going? Like, what is this? This is not fun. This is not cool. This is not Christian. There's no I graduation in sight exactly because the thing is they're like well yeah you can maybe graduate earlier like it's if you're good if you prove yourself but they'll never let you graduate earlier because like that means less money for them yeah it makes sense to make you stay there as long as possible Mm -hmm. yeah so him and I get into it and I start asking him questions and he gaslights me and tells me that like I should be focusing on you know getting better like why is this even a thought like Why are you even questioning your leaders? Like you should be focusing on rehabilitating and like not, you know, like deflecting. So I ended up having a snapping moment. I left. I had my friend Simone, my best friend, drive two hours to Allentown to pick me up and take me home. How did you get her to do that? Every Sunday, we would drive two hours to Philly to attend church. Yeah. And so on on the way to church, I told him, I was just like, hey, I'm out. So I was like, you guys can drop me off at church. Mm-hmm. I thought I was being smart. Drop me off at church. I'm going to see my parents there because they lived close enough. So my parents would come see me every Sunday. And I was just like, I'm piecing. Mm-hmm. So I got all of my stuff and I thought that we were all going to go to church. They dropped me off at Walmart in Allentown in the middle of nowhere. So I turned my phone at Walmart. I looked homeless. And my, I waited two hours for Simone to come pick me up. She did. She took me back home. I told her about the whole thing. I get home. My mom at the time was on vacation because in her mind, and she even told me later, she was like, I knew this was a cult, but it's better for me to know that you're safe and not Mm -hmm. on drugs than like dead somewhere, which made sense. But it's also kind of like it's so that you can sleep at night, but like no one gives a fuck about how I'm sleeping. But also
0: just put me in a rehab then and not a cult like exactly i'll go to rehab not a call
1: exactly my parents were paying a thousand dollars out of pocket because they don't take insurance because they're not even legit
0: yeah this is not a legit rehab,
1: right so and i'm pissed because i know how hard my parents work and like a thousand dollars a month for me you know what i mean for like my treatment like i felt so guilty yeah so simone takes me home and mom was on vacation my dad comes home, sees me, and he's getting in the car. We're going back to rehab. So he brings my ass back to rehab the next no day. No way.
0: I'm that not way? kidding.
1: I told him everything. He would not even listen. Like I'm sure. Which, again, I understand. But at the same time, this is how they also get parents involved. So the parents are paying. But then Dennis is also, part of his job is to coach the parents. You know, you need to give your kid tough love. So- you know, you're too nice to them. Like, he coached them to what to say to me. Not to believe what I'm saying because I'm an addict and I'm going to say whatever to, you know, get the next fix. Mm -hmm. When in reality, I'm literally telling them, like, what's actually happening? I just don't have a phone to record it and prove it. So it's like my word against Dennis's. Before I went back the next day, I relapsed because I'm like, if I'm going back to rehab. Yeah, I I was going to. That was my next question. I might as well. (laughs) (laughs) So I went all out and which is not funny, but I went all out. I went back to rehab and I was just really defeated and broken because I knew that I don't have my parents. Like, I can't go home. I have nowhere else to go. I have this addiction that I genuinely do want to get rid of. But I'm also in this like toxic environment too. This is not a good place. It's not a good rehab. I mean, when I came back, Dennis made it very like clear that he was just like, we're all you have, like we're the only family that you have, like your parents don't even want you like, damn, sorry it's okay. it like it just kind of brings up like the things because the thing is when it was convenient for them and i mean then like the organization yeah. dennis they would tell you that your family we got you no matter what like we have you whatever but then they would also when it also is convenient they would remind you that like you're a piece of shit animal like no, that, it's, like it's you're it's just a drug cycle. addict you're, yeah yeah like you're nothing without us kind of totally. thing they'll remind it's literally you literally an abusive relationship it's so bad. It's so it's so bad. And so they really, honestly, I broke. And I, at that point, I like realized that it's either I I have no other choice. I'm stuck here, so I have to make the best of it. And I'm just gonna try to like get through these next four months because this happened at the two month mark. So for the next two months up until the four month mark, I was like going through the motions. I was I was good. I was starting to get very brainwashed. Like I was in it. I'm not even gonna lie. Like I was brainwashed for sure. Jesus. You can't not get brainwashed. And I was just like this perfect little Christian. I wasn't even myself. And my family saw it. And like later on, they my mom told me, she's like, yeah, I'm, like you were not yourself. And I knew this and I knew this was a cult. But she's like, yeah, I'd rather have you as a like, Christian. you like this. Then. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like dead. So I get it. Yeah. But I was out. Oh, I came out so, I was so weird because all the conversations in the house are like Christian. Like you're not allowed to have, you're not allowed to sing songs that aren't Christian. You can't even hum. No war stories about like your past life. They teach you to basically suppress everything that has happened to you and like why you're doing drugs in the first place. Mm -hmm. supposed to suppress it and like just be brainwashed into this perfect Christian, like mindless drone. They broke me. I was just like this perfect little Christian. And then up in around the four month mark, is when we had Encounter. So Encounter is something that the G12 church does. It's a G12 kind of thing. But in order to graduate rehab, you have to do Encounter, where they basically, it's a ceremony where they indoctrinate you into the cult, like you're in.
0: What does that mean?
1: I'll tell you first about G12, because this is where we're kind of getting into second stage. Okay. So G12, the background on it, I kind of told you it's a pyramid scheme for mm-hmm. churches, but they have, so it's a non-denominational church, but it has Pentecostal roots. Are you familiar with Pentecostal? No. So they believe in um, like fainting from the Holy Spirit. I right, like, Love that for they, them. Yeah. It's kind of like a snake church without snakes. And I'm Great. sorry for anybody that's Pentecostal. <laughs> like it's those vibes, you know? Got it. And it was really weird. And even in rehab, they encourage like speaking tongues. So like when you're in prayer just like speaking tongues and they believe that people have gifts so like you can be a healer or like a prophet or distinguished spirit so did you have gets, a gift they kept telling me that i was a healer
0: oh, good because
1: for you. yeah thank you you're Welcome. <laughs> they got me they got me mm-hmm. and like i started to believe it too because you know if enough people have like migraines or like back pains and like they ask you to pray over it and you do and they say that oh my god i'm healed yeah you believe it especially when the i really thought when
0: they're just giving you Tylenol yeah
1: it's so funny now but like i really thought i had it so yeah like different people had different gifts and like the pastor obviously had all the gifts and whatnot the more spiritual you are the more gifts you get whatever Mm -hmm. it's a very like us against them mentality as well members aren't allowed to have any outside friends because if you do it's kind of like what do you have in common with them yeah nothing. And if you have so much in common, then you have to bring them to church. Yeah, you know, people that are just in the G12 church minus three hub. It's very like intense. like they're in like these cell groups. Basically, a cell group is like where you have your leader, like your g, and then the G has their twelve, and every week, like you get together, you have a little Bible study, yeah whatever. and then also during the same week, you had like just a girls' session or whatever, and then it was just like, if you're married, like married couples had cells. So if you're a family and like you're in this G12 church, you're basically in these church meetings like four times a week because you have so many different ones. Is
0: the goal to become a G?
1: Yeah. Was Dennis a G? Uh, Dennis is a G. Yeah, good for him. And yeah, but like he also has him. someone above him, and obviously the pastor has Caesar Castellanos about above him, who is the original cult leader. He was the one that founded all this, and like above him is God. You Yeah whole thing so you have to like meet with yourselves and if you don't like you better have a good excuse kind of thing and they're like very heavy shepherding as well and like this also like bleeds into the rehab so heavy shepherding is like you have an authority so like that g like you have a leader above you and with that authority like they basically help you navigate life right But it's more of if I wanted to date someone, I have to go to my leader or like the pastor and the pastor has to pray about it. And then God's supposed to give the pastor or the leader the answer. And then only I can do it. You know what I mean? So it's like you can't even make your own decisions without having the approval of someone else. You know, if you're in that, you're kind of like under the blessing of your leader. And if you don't do what they say, then you lose your blessings. And like, no, that's not good. You get shunned. So it's so like very, very hel- like at cult-y. this
0: point where you're pretty deep in it and you've kind of surrendered yourself to it. Is was your goal to become a leader?
1: No, I in the back of my mind, as brainwashed as I was, like deep into it. In the back of my mind, I I knew what this was. Yeah, I you was did it to com-
0: survive. Kind of, I did honestly. I did yeah. it to
1: survive. Honestly, because there's no way. Because my life, if I just kept resisting it, they would have made my life a hell. So it yeah. was just easier to comply. That's what everybody did. That makes sense. So Encounter there, also in the G12, that's where it comes from is the G12 church. Encounter is very big because that's where they indoctrinate you. So what's Encounter? Encounter is a three-day weekend retreat, basically where you also shut off from everything. And it's very intense, emotionally intense. And you have a three-day moment where it's like you come to Jesus, you face your demons, and you know, you're know you born again. Those three days were so heavy because again, emotionally, but I just remember a lot of crying, being exhausted and exorcisms. Oh yeah,
0: so. And this is how you get to phase two.
1: Yeah, they're very big on exorcisms there too, which was like really scary. And this is like encounter also again, it really also reiterated again from the beginning that like this is not a good place. Like it freaked me out. The goal is to make you fill out this packet. So the packet goes on from your biggest fears to your sins to things that you want to pray away but it's very like personal so it'll start from like fears you know fear of abandonment right then it will get into things like any like bad things that may have ever happened to you so it's like a checklist and you have to check them off so it's if you've ever been like you know raped, or, like, yeah 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 things like that right the premise behind this packet is to bring up emotional you know, trauma and stuff, you start thinking back, like you may have forgotten about something, but now you're reading it on the checklist and you're like, shit. So they're like, you need to check off everything. And then afterwards, we're going to pray over you. We're going to exorcise the demons pretty much. Right. Like, right. But it got into very personal stuff to like, how many like partners, like how many sexual partners mm-hmm. have you had to what kind of sex acts like have you ever done? So there was like a whole thing with three threesomes, like oral, anal, like whatever personal shit the thing is like those things are from are not from god so we have to pray them away you know the thing is so after you fill out that intake form yeah intake form pretty much they line up pastors on stage or like anointed people that can pray over you that have the power and so you choose a person like you get in the line you choose a person you hand them your paper and so they kind of read through it and you know they pray through it like a checklist so i remember i went up to one of the ladies that was there, and she was the, like, choir director. I like to sing. I'm, like, in into music. And I thought that, you know, after first stage, I would be able to, like, you know, be more involved in the church. I just kind of wanted to be, like, play the piano, get yeah. into that. So I'm like, great. Like, why not her, you know? My mistake, because she got my paper, and she read through it, and she, like, shook her head. And she's like, looks like we have a lot to pray away for you. I was too stung to speak. I honestly that was just so humiliating yeah on top of that like you're next to people and so while they're praying they have the hand on the forehead they're praying everything away you can also hear what they're praying away for this person and this person before i can even realize what's happening she starts praying over me i'm like freaked out i'm humiliated i'm still trying to process on this side i'm hearing the pastor praying away for this dude because he's struggling with pedophilia or something like poor. like yeah I'm like I didn't even need to know that on this side this lady's having a full-blown exorcism It's like convulsing and stuff it was just so intense I felt so lost I like started crying because like I was scared yeah and then she starts telling me she's good she's this is the demons coming out and I knew I was like I'm not having an exorcism I'm actually I'm actually fucking scared right now overwhelmed yeah yeah on top of that I was in six months of isolation in like a house with the same people and now i'm in this like convention sort of with like people i don't it's too much and so yeah she's like she's i saw the demons coming out of you like i prayed them away that's why you were crying that's a sign and just like bullshit they could just say whatever after that i was really freaked out i was just kind of like i don't know let down by the whole thing because it definitely wasn't what i thought it was going to be and like you're meant to feel lighter and stuff and like you're supposed to feel the holy spirit and whatever. But after I came back from encounter, honestly, the last two months, because I was at the four month mark, last two months, I was just going through the motions. I was depressed again. And the leader of the house saw that, that I was just like, for lack of a better word, just like overcooked in this program. Like it's I'm done now at this point, like we're in January because I started it. I got there in July. This is January. So I finally get to second stage and it got to the point where like I had to beg. Dennis too like I had to like you know prepare my little speech to please let me out and so he's like, okay cool you know this is your date they let me out and so the premise of second stage is like they give you your phone back you have a part-time job um, but you also still have the halfway house leader that you have to answer to kind of so they're like kind of watching you and like you have to make all of the little cell groups and stuff where are you living during that time so they are also renting through the church it's in northeast philadelphia it's also like this little duplex townhouse where i have to pay 500 a month working a, p- a part-time job and rent to share one bedroom with four other girls and like that also didn't include food and whatnot and this is so where like, all
0: the second stages live
1: yeah so everybody yeah. goes to second stage and that's where everybody realizes okay i did I did everything you guys asked me to do. And now you guys aren't like keeping your end of the promise. I got to second stage. I thought I was going to get my phone back. No, you have to earn it back. You have to prove that you're good enough. So slowly, I like kind of earned everything back. I was able to have a part time job. But it was minimum wage. Like I'm not making $500 a month. So obviously my parents are still paying for it. And that's on purpose because that's how they still keep the parents like reeled in and stuff.
0: Are you still sober?
1: I was still sober yeah and i was still okay. like attending the meetings but i was under the radar pretty much like i was just trying to keep a very low profile do what i had to do but kind of start to try to get on my feet i was just so over everything at that point and so the thing is after again after being in six months of isolation to being thrown into the real world where i'm going to work now after six months and not everybody at work is talking about God all the time twenty four seven. Not all the jokes are about God, you know. So it's like a shock again to your system. And I came out with so much anxiety. I was so weird. Like I didn't know who I was and like how I fit in now into actual society. Yeah. Because I was in this like bubble for so long that's just yeah, so unrealistic. You're almost
0: isolated more.
1: I couldn't make friends at work because I wasn't allowed to, because they were scared that you're not allowed to have other friends because they're scared that you're gonna run away and get, you know, relapse. Mm-hmm. So they're like extra more helicopter parent on you in a way. And because I had a car and I was like the only person at second stage that had a driver's license. So they gave me my car so that I can take people to like sell groups and to work and stuff. And that was me serving. That was like my service kind of thing, which was annoying that like I was everyone's personal Uber and I'm already not making money and like I have to drive everyone around. The big peak here was when one of my friends that I was living with at first stage, his name was Jan and he ended up leaving. He was supposed to be the next leader of the house or whatever, but I think the pressure was just too much. He wasn't ready for it. They were just trying to push him way too early. He ended up leaving um, and he had an overdose and he passed away. Ugh. And I remember, yeah, and like I knew him and he was a really kind, like a good person. And they were just all about him until that happened and he left. So the entire church had a group chat on like WhatsApp and the pastor had sent out this like message to everyone as a PSA for your information. You know, our brother Jan passed away. This is what happened. But this goes to show like what happens when you leave like the church and stuff. And basically it was, he made him an example. And just the way that that message was, honestly, if it was me, if they were talking about me, I'd be pissed. Yeah. Because they made they made him an example and it was not okay. And that like really set me off. And I was just like, I've had it. I was pissed. And I was telling people about it and stuff. But I think word got back to Dennis and the past. They started seeing that I was falling, falling back a little bit. So Dennis gives me a call one day. I'm in like second stage. He gives me a call and he's, hey, Chris, um, tomorrow I need you to go to PA, pick up a bunch of rehabilitants from first stage take them to Delaware for a conference be there at the conference all day with them and then take them back and then make sure that you're home by I think eight or nine to be like you know to check in for nighttime whatever so I said I'm sorry I I can't do it I said I have work the whole thing is I have a job I have work tomorrow I can't just call out and I said on top of that like no one's really offering gas money too like plus that's a big liability like I'm what 18 at the time and yeah. I have to drive through like 15, like about just, it just didn't make sense. No,
0: so many things are wrong with that.
1: Come to find out that was a test. And so I was just like, I'm sorry, like I can't do it. That doesn't make any sense. And I was like, I have a job. And he's like, well, work should come before. I mean, God should come before work. And this is the whole thing. And he ends up hanging up after I say no. He didn't like it. And I was just like, whatever, I don't care. 10 minutes later, not even. I'm in my room and I had like bunk, we had bunk beds, a bunch of girls sitting. And my bunk bed was like up against the corner. It was on the bottom bunk. So I was in the corner. I'm just watching my show. All of a sudden, Dennis and the pastor, they like burst in. Don't even knock. Like they just, these two grown men just burst into the room. They pull up chairs like in front of my bed and they sit down and they start yelling at me. I was like shocked. I was so scared because I have these two grown men that are like authority figures Mm -hmm.
0: in my life. Screaming at you. Screaming at
1: me. The conversation goes, we gave you a job, we gave you a car, we gave you a salt, we gave you sobriety, this is how you repay us. I ended up recording the conversation because I'm like, this is not real life, like, I cannot believe this right now. Like, the bullshit that they were spitting, so I said, this was my phone, this is my car. I said, getting a job is part of the second stage, and I said, God gave me sobriety, so I was like, I don't, your argument just collapses on itself. And so they didn't like it, Uh, they understood that, like, I was starting to differentiate and understand what was going on. And then mid-conversation, the pastor's like, you know what? We don't need you. You know, we don't need you. You're done. We don't have to deal with this. You're ungrateful. Like, we're done. And I was just kind of like, fuck it, whatever. I don't care. I'm done too. And so at the time I didn't really care because I was kind of scared too, like, this is intense. I called my mom immediately. They just they just leave. I call my mom immediately. I send her the video, and I'm this this is like my last try of convincing her that mom, I'm not okay here. Yeah. And she finally believes me. She hears the video. Like she she's what is going on? She goes to call the pastor. She's trying to figure stuff out because my mom again like we're kind of related to Dennis, so like my yeah, mom yeah, had yeah. good relationship. My mom, my parents donated so much to that church. Like not just food, not just money, but like a lot. My mom's calling the pastor. She's like, why don't we all go to dinner, talk about this and we'll figure it out. And he's like, no, like we're done. Like your daughter's ungrateful. We never want to see you or like your daughter like step foot in this church again. Like it's just like insulting that I even have to deal with this kind of thing. Finally, my mom believed me for once. But she, in her mind, she's, well, you can't come home because I know if you come home, especially after this, you're going to relapse. So she's like, just stay here. Like, we're going to figure this out because, like, I can't have you come home right now. So I was just kind of, like, up in the air, sort of packing my bags. The pastor and Dennis did not want to talk, talk it out. And what happened was at first, like, I was like, whatever, like, I don't care. And I had an aunt that was actually living in Philly at the time. So my mom talked to her and was like, can Chris stay with you for a little bit until we figure this out? So I was living at my aunt's for a little bit and I didn't really care at first until I realized that the entire support system that I had built going to these women's cell groups, young girls cell groups, just everybody in the community uh, apparently there was like a, also another PSA sent out that I'm shunned and shunned. to, yeah. yeah, they're not allowed to talk to me. So my friends, like people that I depended on, like through rehab and stuff, we all had each other's backs cause we didn't have anybody. It was just so bizarre to me. It was such a shock to me that it's like, you guys cared so much and how, how does one person get everybody to shut somebody out? And it was just really hurtful. And I realized I'm like, fuck, like I'm alone again. I- can't go home i am at my aunts and i don't really even know her like that and they were also very christian and i was just at such a low point i also felt like i had nowhere else to go that i even ended up texting and calling pastor and dennis and asking them like please take me back because i'm gonna relapse wow. the pastor left me on red and when i was calling dennis he's like look my hands are tied this is pastor's call like i can't do anything about it chris you shouldn't have said no and i was like i said no to one thing and it was So actually, it's so small. But I think they were—they saw that I wasn't about this. I think they knew that my family knew this was a cult. But they ended up kicking me out. And mind you, throughout the entire rehab, like I was perfect. Like I was literally the ideal Christian.
0: How long did it take you to unwire that experience? And I take it you didn't stay sober initially from it. Yeah. How did you actually then get sober?
1: So I ended up relapsing after that, and. Um, I had an overdose at my aunt's house, which that scared the shit out of her too. Mm-hmm. And she hasn't talked to me since, which is wow. How long ago was that? This, this was all in 2018. Okay. So a few years back. And it wasn't, it wasn't very long because my mom had already had another rehab lined up. And this one was in Israel. Why can't, I don't understand this.
0: There are so many accredited actual rehabs, especially near Philadelphia, Karen, everything. Like I don't understand.
1: And like we had insurance too, so I don't know why like we could Israel find a rehab. was
0: she was like, let's go from the cult to Israel.
1: Yeah, because her I think her mind was like, I can't run away. If you throw you me go to go another to country, I did go to Israel. No, Isra-
0: you didn't.
1: I went, yeah, I was in Israel and it was also like the same sort of pyramid scheme church rehab thing but it was a lot better. It wasn't that bad. And honestly, I had a lot more pleasant experience there. I was in rehab maybe for like two weeks before they had like this Bible school starting. And they were like, you know what, Chris, you're, you're good to go. We'll let you be a student at the Bible school. That was my rehab. So I still kind of, I had more freedom. I just kind of had to tell people where I was going, but I think that freedom definitely helped me. And there was a lot of young people that weren't in the rehab. So I saw cool Christian kids, actually, that weren't weird or crazy. And you can have fun without drugs. And I saw people my age that were actually, like, you know, having a good time. And I was just kind of like, if they can do it, like, why can't I? So that
0: was your actual that
1: becoming was, yeah. sober? Well, I think the really actually we becoming sober is just the PTSD from all of these rehabs that, like, yeah. I... I'm so scared to touch drugs that I don't want to go back to rehab, I, literally, just because of that, because I can't, because I know my mom's going to throw me into another one like that. Yeah, but (laughs) at this point, you're
0: an adult, and you could find your own rehab, and you know that there are accredited non-Christian rehabs out there.
1: But I'm five, I'm about to be five years clean, and this is, uh... small blimp in my life and it doesn't define me i've just i'm a completely different person from that it took me a long time especially to unwind from all of the um brainwashing are you in touch
0: with anyone from your experience there now
1: i am i'm still in touch with one person pretty closely samantha
0: did she leave because
1: um she did leave and that was also her last rehab because she also went through a lot of these underground rehabs that are a lot of them are in new york too Hmm um like through churches but they were a lot worse so you yeah. come back
0: from israel and then what is your are you still living with your parents or how do you get on your feet
1: i did 3 months in israel and then after the bible school they let me go to estonia for another 3 months to serve where i was thrown into a rehab it was a men's rehab in estonia and i was just kind of like there to do bible studies or whatever But it was all men and they were like grown men, like 40, 50, you know, they were homeless. So it was kind of like, what's this little girl going to tell me Mm -hmm. about anything? So it wasn't a great experience. Mm -hmm. I also just kind of made it through it. I came home and after that, I was just like, I can't do another rehab. I don't ever want to do this again. I just have to get my shit together. So immediately when I came from Israel, I enrolled in community college. Nice. I got my associates. And yeah, ever since, I just was like, I'm never going to let anyone like Dennis and, you know, the pastor take my sobriety ever again. Mm -hmm. I'll never. It's just something, I don't know, something in me switched. There was a lot of layers to it that there was a click that happened. I haven't really looked back since. I don't think about heroin. So Mm -hmm. if anyone's listening, like there is a point to you get where, you know, you don't have to make this you know your life mm-hmm. it doesn't define you and you can move on and um,
0: where do yeah. you so, stand on your christianity now because that must be
1: i mean with fuck. all the spiritual abuse and stuff and yeah like, how can I've you be gone through so many churches i stay away from churches yeah i just, i don't go to my like my hometown church mm-hmm. but i mean i still believe that there's a higher power yeah, Because I've had instances in my life where I'm like, there's no other way except something else bigger well, than me.
0: Well, you healed a headache. Okay, I mean, it's literally the worst transition ever, but what's your favorite restaurant? <laughs> <laughs>
1: okay, so um, can I do both Delaware and Jersey? So if you're ever in Millville or Vineland, New Jersey, mm-hmm. go to Outlaw Burgers mm-hmm. or Jim's Lunch good stuff get a double cheeseburger with everything on it because they had their own secret sauce like gravy it's amazing it's really really good and if you're ever in Delaware I would recommend either Chesapeake Inn or my favorite Joey T's which is a little um it's like a little truck Mm -hmm. food truck and I would get a get a sausage sandwich with cheese and their sweet and spicy sauce so good if you
0: enjoyed today's episode please rate and follow the podcast wherever it is you listen to it so that we can bring you more unexpected stories by ordinary people and if you don't like the episode forget what I just said and just please don't tell anyone